Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Luke 24 verse 36, He said to them, um, peace be with you. And I greet you all in the name of peace, just as Jesus Christ had greeted all of his disciples with peace. May the peace of heaven transcend into your hearts and into your lives today. For those who don't know me, and I will be your host today, even though I don't really do much hosting. Um, today we are gathered here to speak about Exodus chapter 19 to 24, where we will be looking at the law of God and we'll be looking at the Ten Commandments. Earlier on today, I was listening to a podcast and Rory Sang said something that was so interesting. She said, if you want to live a good life, what you need to do and prioritize in your life is obedience. Because when you're obedient, you're not being obedient for God, but you're being obedient for yourself. You being obedient doesn't change who God is and you being disobedient doesn't change who God is. All it does is make your life better. And so today we are going to look at the law because God, yes, he's a God of love, but he is also a God of law. Our facilitator this evening, is going to be, as always, um, Ria Mudao, and she is going to take us through the chapters of Exodus 19 to 24. But before we begin, just a few housekeeping rules. Please may all microphones be switched off as well as video cameras. If you have any questions, please type them in the chat box below and Ria will then answer your questions. Um, other than that, please have a wonderful Bible study session, and we hope that you really enjoy it. I'm going to hand over to Unolitan Rosope to lead us in prayer, followed by Uriah to guide us through the Bible study. Thank you. Please may we bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful Sunday evening. Thank you that we can gather here together to learn about your word. Lord, I pray that we will open our hearts and our ears to your word and gain better understanding. Thank you for your love and your grace that you show us every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much, Sandro. Um, we're back uh, with Exodus. Um, and I must put a disclaimer. I, I love the law. This is what I do on a daily. So when I speak the law, um, I tend to overemphasize when I deal with, with a lot of things, but um, I will try by all means. And, and another disclaimer upfront, as I was pre preparing and going through the law, I actually realized that um, we, 
we will definitely not get to 24. So I've decided to split the law into two because I, I realized that the book itself, it, it does separate the kinds of laws that we'll be dealing with. So we will only deal with 19, probably to 22 and or 21. And then the next week we will finish off the law because this is one area where I don't want us to rush through. I say that about every chapter, <laughs> but I think it's because the law is something that everyone questions every day. I was listening to a podcast as well. And um, there is this drive going on on if we teach people Christ, is there a need to teach the law? If we teach people who Christ is, is there a need to teach the law? But the honest fact is 15% of the Bible tells you about finding God and 85% of the Bible tells you about following God. And, and that 85% is more on obedience, like Sanele said, it's more on what do you do to get to a certain level with God? So the law is still very much relevant because everywhere we learn about God and what he wants from us. Um, so we ended off chapter 18. We saw last week, we saw Jethro visiting um, um, Moses and telling him, how to lead the Israelites and Moses selected 70 men that were going to run um, and help him because Jethro realized that Moses is not, is not coping. He, they, he used to sit all day and listen to people's problems and Jethro, you know, sometimes God will send, the voice of God will come through someone you know. Those that are married say that at, at times the voice of God just comes through my wife or my child because this was his father-in-law who came and said, this is not on, this is not going to work you are going to be worn out very soon. Now, this is what you have to do. And then Jethro started listening. Sorry, then Moses started listening to Jethro and he implemented this. And you see that it was ordained by God because when God starts talking to Moses um, from chapter 19, he, he keeps on talking about the men that you had selected, the priests, because this was ordained by God. So just before we go into the law, I thought I'll share a map of the route that they took because from Egypt, uh, Goshen to, to Mount Sinai. It took them 47 days. Um, on day 50, they will be standing in front of Mount Sinai after leaving. After, let me say after the Passover, because the Passover happened somewhere in chapter 12, and it took them 50 days. And when you see on the map, you'll see the Red, um, the Red Sea, the camp, Ethan. They moved across the Red Sea. They went to the wilderness of shore. We did this last week. They got to Mara. They got to Ilim. Um, you know, all the way they walked, they got to Rephidim where they found the, the Amalekites and they fought them. And now they are in Mount Sinai and it is 50 days later. And I thought I should also share, because uh, last week's slides, I did not add all those pictures of how it looked um, when, when the cloud was protecting them from the back, the Red Sea, Israel, the Egyptian camp, the Egyptian army behind them. And this is what we're going to be looking at this week. We're going to look at chapter 19, which speaks to them. Um, Israel getting to Mount Sinai, the background of the law, the divisions of the law, property rights, the Sabbath of the land, and the covenant ratified. But as I said, we're probably going to get to the, the divisions of the law. And the next week, we will look at um, property rights, the Sabbath of the land, and the covenant ratified. And this is just an outline of how the law is divided, the 10 commandments, which we all know between chapter 19, 10, 20, the judgments socially, how were they supposed to live, the rights and the practices, and then the ordinances, the religious part, how are they supposed to worship God, the Sabbath, 
and the feasts that he gave to them. And this is a picture that I thought I should share of how Mount Sinai looks today. And I know that there's a lot of questions around Mount Sinai. Um, this is the Mount Sinai in Egypt, but there is, you know, there, there is a lot of speculation. You know, there's questions around, is this the right one? Because there is another mountain, which is, no, I think it's in Saudi Arabia, where uh, they're saying that might be Mount Sinai, because looking at the route, it's possible for them to cross the Red Sea and still get to that mountain. But for now, this is the Mount Sinai that we know. This is the Mount Sinai in Egypt that, that we know as the right mountain. Um, and, and, you know, there'll always be um, issues around, is this right, is this not, but this is the Mount Sinai um, that we know. So when, when God calls him and just says, Moses, come up, this is what he was climbing to go and meet God. Um, so chapter 19, I did say that uh, they were redeemed. Israel, Israel was redeemed. And when you are called, you are called and given a responsibility. And Paul explains it very well when he says that, you know, you're called by grace, but you're called to work. So the moment you come in, um, then there is a responsibility. You know, once you get to understand um, God and how he works, you will understand that certain behaviors have to change. Now, God does not judge wrong desires, but he, he judges how you control yourself when those desires come up. You know, so the law makes sense in the context of a relationship. You start with a relationship with God and then God gives you the law. And we talked about it last week when after they had gotten into a relationship with God, he then said, all right, now you've crossed the Red Sea. Now this, is ha this has happened. Now this is how I want you to leave. But it's very, very important for me to mention that the law does not make the relationship. The law does not make the relationship. And I think this is where the Pharisees fought with Christ a lot because they, they thought we are fine with the law and that's it. And Christ was saying, no, the law is there, but you need a relationship with God. You must make the relationship and the law will apply. The law is still relevant because the, the fact that you have a relationship does not replace how you should act. And I'll give marriage as an example. I mean, you do not get married and stop acting married because anyway, I'm married. They, there's certain things that you need to do. So this principle of once saved, always saved, there's nothing that I have to do. It is not what the word of God says. It is not what the word of God says. The, the law is still relevant. So when we get to chapter 19, I can just imagine how Moses is feeling. I mean, um, Moses lived in Midian for 40 years and now he's back with the Israelites. And, and, and the first 25 verses of chapter 19, you can hear that it's, it's first steps. Um, you know, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've done everything. Now God is saying, um, now we need to teach the truth of how you live with me. Um, you know, being in a committed relationship with God is about following God. It's about forgetting what you really want to do and doing what God wants you to do. Um, you know, and, and people always get it wrong. Like I said earlier, you know, we in this relationship, do I still need anything? Yes, we still need um, to obey the law. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's, you know, people say, how did Moses know where to go? But that is when you, you did not read the entire book of Exodus. Because when we did Exodus 3, God said to Moses, when they were having this, um, discussion, Moses saying, I cannot speak, I cannot do this, send someone, and God said, Moses, you're going to go and get them out of, the, out of Egypt, 
And when you, ha- you, you have the Israelites, you are going to come back to this mountain. So this is where Moses was called. Moses was called on Mount Sinai and he knew exactly where to go because God said, you are going to come back with the Israelites and worship me on this mountain. And 50 days later, he found, he found himself there. And when you read from chapter 19, one to eight, you see a call, a call for commitment. You see a call for commitment because it opens with the record of God's call for, for, for dedication. You know, Moses returned to where he started his relationship with God. And, and, you know, God had told him that you are going to come back to this mountain. And it says in the third month um, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Then they set out from Rephidim. They came to the wilderness of Sinai and they camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God. And that is where God talked to him for the second time. And when you go to, when you go to the next um verses um i think four to six god calls him and there are prerequisites there are prerequisites between verse four and six god says you yourselves have seen what i did to the egyptians and how i bore you on eagles wings and brought you out myself now then if you will obey my voice now there there's coming a you need to obey. We are, we are done with just doing things. It says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They are, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So, you know, there, there were prerequisites. It was not automatic. It was not automatic. The, the Lord told Moses, This is what you need to go and tell them. You know, you saw what I did in Egypt. You experienced how I saved you. And the proposal is choose to receive and obey my word. You willingly join in a covenant relationship with me. If you, it's not you must, but if you choose, then this is what you need to do. And then he promised you will be marked as mine and be a distinct people before all the other peoples of the earth. And notice, you know, I notice. Um, what he said in 19 verse 5, he creates a covenant, a conditional covenant. You know, Abraham's covenant was not conditional. God told him what is going to happen. I am, I am choosing you. I am going to do this. I'm going to do that. But this one, it was very much dependent on what they did. Because once you have a relationship with God, it, it is it is conditional. It is, it is up to you, you know. And I noted there that the call to commitment requires two things. Um, and we will see when we get to 19 verse 7, Moses went down and, and he told the people what the Lord had said. But God will make sure that the environment is suitable for, for his, um, for, for everything must suit the environment for, for his purpose, for his purpose to be fulfilled. Because God then said that in 19, he said, I'm going to come in a way that the people will hear when I speak to you. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak and you may also believe, and sorry, and they may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words words to the people. Moses needed affirmation. They They had seen God do everything in Egypt. And now it was just them in front of this mountain. And God said, you know, I will make, 
I will make an, a loud noise. They will not even have to ask whether it was me. They will hear. They will hear when I speak to you. And behold, I will come in a thick cloud so that they will hear that it is me that is speaking. And God, he, he made it clear. He made sure that everything around Moses validated his call. It validated his call. But again, he said, you need to prepare because I am God. You don't just come as you are. And when you look at uh, chapter 19, 10 to 15, he said, get the people ready to receive me by having them focus entirely on preparing, preparing to meet me tomorrow. So he, he validated Moses by saying they will hear. And he was saying, I will make enough noise so that they know that Moses is not making, up, making it up. But I require them to clean up to clean up when they come and meet me. And that is in um, 10 to 15. Now there's three requirements. There's three requirements that we, we get between 10 to 15. The first one, he says, remove all the debt. Tell them, tell them Moses from 19, 10 to 11. He says, tell them to clean their clothes, remove all the debt because I am a holy God. God will start showing you the dirty spots. You know, at times your heart will tell you that this, this is not sitting well with me. I, I need to clean this up. The second thing, he said, there must be reverence and, and, and patience. Instruct them to hold back from the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they will die. God has boundaries. And, and we're living in a world that questions God's boundaries every day. Can God do this? Can God tell me to do this? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And it started all the way back. You know, I mean, we die when he says we die. <laughs> we were born when he said we will be born. So he put a fence and he said, Moses, they must not touch my mountain. And I put the picture of Mount Sinai so that you can see that it's, it's very easy. It's, it's a mountain that starts right at the foot. You can easily go and touch it. And he said, they must not touch my mountain. And the third one, he said to them, um, you know, they, they must have focus. He said, uh, no man for the man, they must not meet a woman. They must remain ceremonially pure by abstaining from sex as they prefer, they prepared for this meeting with God. And that's in 1914 to 15, God says, you can't, you can't. I, I don't want you coming here with any thoughts. I don't want you coming here with, you know, half-hearted. You need to come here clean because I want you as you are. And note you know, God repeated, God repeated. And as you're studying, which I hope you did study, God repeated so many times the warnings. Moses, go back and tell them. Go back and tell them that they cannot touch my mountain. This is what they need to do because preparing for God is, is very important. And the Bible says that when we get to 16 verse 20, God appeared, but appeared in a way that they had never seen. The Bible says that the mountain was filled with smoke and fire and trumpet blast grew. The Lord called Moses to come up to him. And I noted Revelation 9, 4 verse 5, because in the book of Revelation, God, the Bible repeats that this is how the throne, the, the throne is covered by smoke, fire, trumpets, blasts. So I'm, I'm sure that day the, the throne, even though you know Moses did not see God in his entirety, but all the signs that we read about in the book of Revelation is what we read about in the book of Exodus. Um, you know, he repeated so many times, even in verse 21, he repeated, warned the people again not to come up for a look 
and to make sure that the leaders, the leaders that I talked about that Jethro said he must have, have fully prepared for the meeting with the Lord. We, we sometimes take for granted being in the presence of God. Hmm? We sometimes take for granted being with God and we think it's, you know, it's just me going to church. Um, but, but right at the beginning when God said, come and meet with me, there was a lot of rules and on how you need to follow my boundaries, how you can't touch my mountain, how you must stay away from certain acts, how you need to come before me. And I think it's a call for us as Christians to remember that meeting God is not, you know, we should not take, we should not get to a point where we take it lightly because we are meeting the creator. So it's, it's not something that we should, you know, get to a point where, yeah, I'm just going to church. Uh, because it means something to God when, when you, you prepare yourself to go before the Lord and, and meet him and, you know, be in his presence. Um, Moses did assure God and he said, they're not going to come up, but the Lord kept on sending him down. And we, when we get to 22, God, he sets up more, more boundaries. He said, also let the priests who come near the, who come near the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against the Moses says to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying set bounds. And then the Lord said to him, go down and come up, come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down again. God wanted people to understand that coming before him is not a joke. And he mentioned it so many times, you know, uh, before God offered, offered the content of the laws on what had to be done, he demanded them to make a vow. He demanded a relationship. He demanded you know, a relationship from them before he said, this is what you need to do. And, and it was, I think it was the timing. I always say everything in the Bible is set, you know, according to, to how God wants it to make sense. But the timing is impeccable, you know, because it's, Chapter 19 is just before he gives them the law. He reminds them who he is so many times. He reminds them what's going to happen if they do not, they do not follow the direction. Um, you know, so this is very important as we're about to tackle the law. You need to understand that God did not offer any ifs. It has to be done that way. And as we move on to chapter 20, um, which is the Ten Commandments, it's a very popular book. Um, I think most of us have, have studied it so many times uh, and, and those that, you know, school everywhere. But I always say the Ten Commandments for me, um, it, it should teach you how God thinks because this is the first laws that he gave to people, um, you know, and even people that don't follow the law, that don't want to follow the law, but it should give you an idea and I always say the same thing about the book of Leviticus and whatnot that there are certain rules that you look at and say yeah this might not apply to us in today's world but don't skip those books because they give you an idea they give you the principle the principle stays because it says I do not change I do not change so the ten commandments um which everyone knows that shall have no other gods before me that shall Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shall not make, that shall not take the name of the Lord, thy Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor 
thy father and mother. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. Um, thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shall not covet. So it's it's ten commandments. Um, but I always say this: this ten commandments show me two principles um, that God looks at, and that is respect, uh, because you know the message is it's very clear. All the ten commandments talks about you must respect God respect his name, respect his day, respect his people, respect for family life and respect for life itself. The message is clear. It, it is very much clear, you know, and, and the way we differentiate the 10 commandments, you know, all of them, all of them speak about acts and words, but only the last one speaks about feelings. And Paul calls it um, the law of contentment. It, it talks about how you feel and how you um, you know, you covet things that belong to other people because, you know, it's a feeling and not an act. The second thing that I see, the second principle that I see is the principle of responsibility. You know, increasingly we are taught that we are not responsible for our actions. Um, you know, even, even, you know, people will blame it down to genetics that you know that, you know, we are born in this, in this world full of sin and this and that, but the Lord says we are responsible. We are responsible because there is a way in which um, we need to live, which is what makes him happy. So when we walk away from God, when we walk away from God, I don't think we rebel, especially when you, you get, um, a you, you've gotten to a point where you have a relationship with Christ. It's not people being rebellious, but most of the time it's people being forgetful. It's people being forgetful. And I think the message that Christ preaches every time saying, I need to live within you, it's to help you not to forget. It's to help you not to forget because if it, it's always in your mind, then you will know that my God will not allow me to do this. My God looks beyond what I want in the physical because I'm responsible for everything that I do. So the law, as we are going to study um, it um, all the way to the book of Deuteronomy, it's divided into three. We have the civil code. So the civil code, um, and I'm going to give a, a legal 101, legal background 101. Civil code is cases between um, you and the next person. When you have a civil case, can be a divorce, maintenance is a case against you and another person. And we find that in the book of Exodus, and we also find the civil code in the, book of, in the book of Numbers. And it makes sense why. I mean, those people were 400,000. Uh, when you research further, it says, including women and children, there were about 2 million. And they were living, they were camping. So issues like he stole my cat, if they had cats, he, he, you know, he, he beat my child, he killed my cat and all that. Those were normal things. It, it, civil code was one of, that's why God gave them that is the first thing that you need to be able to live with each other. The second one is the, it's the criminal code. The criminal code we find in the book of Leviticus, where it, it, it's a crime is usually between, thank you, 
So a crime is usually currently, uh, a crime is usually between you and the state where you don't do any wrong against an individual, but it's wrong against, you know, humanity. When you go and kill someone, take someone's life, when the person does not belong to you, then you have a crime. And the book of Leviticus explained it's a criminal code, you know, and it also, crime will also always give you what must happen to this person, you know, if they do something wrong. And the last one where we're going to study the law is the constitutional code, which is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is actually their constitution, as we know today in South Africa, because it actually lists um, all the laws, it lists the civil code, the criminal code, and it, it has statutes. It has statutes where Moses, before he died, said, these are the laws. This is how you're supposed to live. And, and he explained um, that this is, this is what is supposed to happen. So today, because we're dealing with, with exodus, we're actually dealing with the civil code, how to live with your neighbor. And you will see with most of the rules, how to treat your, employ, your employee, how to take care um, of, of the people around you and all those things, how to take care of what you have. And the Ten Commandments is actually divided into three. The first three, the first three, the first four, 10 commandments, it's actually vertical commands. We call them vertical commands because it's between you and God. It's a command between you and God. And, and you know, thou shall not, um, let me just go down to the rules. Sanele, if you can just share the slides. Um, sorry, I just wanna go to them. All right, so the first, Four, it's vertical command, no other gods before me. The second one, do not make an idol or likeness or, or likeness to worship. The third one, do not use my name in vain. The fourth one, keep the Sabbath day holy. So the first four commandments, it's between you and God. He's, he's telling you that this is how you deal with me. You know, and no other gods, I am your God. No idol, do not use my name in vain. Um, keep the Sabbath day. And the second, the second but of the law, they are called horizontal, we call them, it's not they're called by the Bible, horizontal commands where um, you have honor your father, honor your father and mother. And I, I wanted to, to, to explain the difference between honor and obey because they, we, have, we have, you know, in the book, the New Testament, you have a lot of places where in other books you find honor and in other books you find um, um, obey. You know, when you honor, when you honor your, your, when you obey your parents, it's a child. You know, when you're a child, your parents will say what needs to happen. You don't have a say. Um, you, you obey everything that they say, you know, but when we speak about honoring your father, it's something that you cannot say I'm of age or I'm of whatnot. It's, it's based on respect. Even when, you know, as a, as a child of God, you might say to your parents, you might think, I, I do not follow this. I don't follow what she's saying, but I will respect you not to do it, but find a respectful way to say it. So it's a, it's a, you need to honor your parents. It's a lifetime commitment. So the other horizontal is do not kill. Let's not kill each other. It's horizontal and do not commit adultery. There is no adultery. If you're married, don't, don't violate, you know, don't violate the, 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 the sacred circle, which is created um, by the union of marriage. And then the last one, which Paul calls uh, the laws of con contentment. Um, it's the last three, it's do not steal, you know, be happy with what you have. Uh, don't use your hands to gain advantages that I did not give to you. I give you time, talent and treasure, 
that's what I want you to have. And, and that's what you must use to get to God, to get what you want. Do not bear false witness. Don't use your tongue to gain advantage. And the last one, the last one, do not covet. You must be content in your heart. You know, settle yourself thankfully on what you have. Um, you know, so with, with this basic principle is God's intention was to build a society based on personal responsibility and, and communal protection where individual freedoms were protected, um, you know, against all this societal boundaries that we, we find. If you can go to the next slide, um, Sanele. Uh, we go to chapter 21. And chapter 21 is actually made up of quite a lot uh, uh, different types of laws. The first one um, is, is more, it's in most Bibles, it's got a heading of Hebrew slaves. I, I must confess uh, the word slaves uh, made me go and, and research more because the question that I always used to get is, but is, is the Bible for slavery? Is the Bible for slavery? Why would it even have laws on, on how you treat a slave? But when you study history and the context of slavery, and you will see when we study more laws, it's slavery in this context was not um, the picture that we have in our minds when you know you find black people taken without their consent and you know they're just they just go there and they they treated like animals and whatnot and whatnot. That is not what the Bible referred to. And you will see later in the Bible where God says, you cannot keep someone by force. You kidnapping, you, 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 there was a, the penalty was death penalty if you kidnap someone. So clearly it, it is not the slave that we're referring to, but in, in today's world, I, I would say that it was more of a worker, you know, that would go and, and work under you for whatever time. There were rules given on how you need to treat that person. So in today's language, I will say these are laws regarding contractual relationships, contractual relationships and, and not necessarily uh, the, what comes to mind when we talk about slavery. And I highlighted it in red. The Bible never supported the kind of slavery that characterized the abuse of Black people. It grossly violated the various standards of the word. And at the same time, it belittled all the men. And when you read going forward, you will see that God was against it. God was against, the Bible was against it. People were just doing it, you know, because we do things as we want to. And as you go to the next slide, I noted the reasons why the length of the term, the Bible is very clear. You will see as we go on. It, it, it did not have to be, it couldn't be permanent. It was, you had to keep this person for a limitation of six years. And after six years, you had to, to let go of them unless they choose to stay with you. The second one, you know, it was obtained single, he leaves single, it, you, you couldn't. Um, if he comes with his wife, she's to live with him. This person is actually working under your care. And the third one was, was retention. You know, if he decides to stay on, he could not stay by force. And when you study those verses in Exodus on, on Hebrew slaves, you will see that noted, showing that it was not the plan of God. It was not for him. It was more of a contractual relationship. And when you study from 21, 20 to 27, um, just make sure that you study. God puts parameters. How do you punish 
your slaves. I mean, this day and age, we have ways in which, you know, you, you punish someone that does not do as they have to do in terms of the contract or employment agreement, but you couldn't just treat them the way you wanted to treat them. And bear in mind, we are dealing, this book, the book of Exodus was, was this is, this is Moses is leading slaves. Those people were slaves in Egypt. And that is, that's the way they think. Slavery is, is what is the way they think. And the way that they were treated in Egypt was just people that did not have a say. They had nowhere to go. They were born and died in Egypt. God was building a nation. God was building a nation and saying to them, you have a right. You, you can't be kept like that forever. You have a right, you have a life outside slavery. And, and, you know, as much as God was dealing with their slavery mentality by giving them the rules, he was also trying to change their mindset because slavery is also a mind thing where you are still a slave in the mind. So Moses was dealing with people that did not know freedom. All they knew was, was slavery. And, and read, you should read those chapters in that context, but also look at it as a, as a contract of employment on this is how you need to treat each other. The next one, <laughs> so this one is a, is a controversial issue. Um, it's, I think it's quite easy for us to understand as, as Africans because it talks about bright price, uh, Lobola. I am not going to go into, it's a long um, um, section where it explains what you need to do. If you see, I, I wrote even, um, if you look at the flies, slides, I wrote Ed as husband, as Susie as a bride to give examples of, of or to water it down. Because when you read it, when you read it, you sort of think, does this make sense? What does it mean? But I tried to write it in today's language uh, to give examples of what did the Bible mean? Because when you read it as is, um, you know, most people have raised questions that, no, but, you know, did, did the Bible really respect women the way, you know, things look as is? But I put examples so that I explain it easily so that we, we understand. So <laughs> 21, 7, it was intended to apply protection for the bride. And, and I, I must put a disclaimer up front. I, I do think um, the way that it's applied um, at this day and age, not all of it is in line with how God intended it to be right at the beginning. Um, you know, it, it got to a point where, you know, just like any other thing, we, we change things our way, um, you know, to suit what we want out of it. And it gets to a point where people say, I don't even want it in my life. But if you, if you were to study 21-7 all the way down, as well as the examples, you realize that most of it was, was protecting um, you know, the union, protecting the woman, because it goes to a point where it says, if she gets married and he doesn't like her anymore, what happens to the bride price? Um, how is she repaid uh, for the time that she spent with him? The Bible goes to that detail. And, and, and you know, how, how, is she, how, how is the inheritance kept for her children? You know, how is her father repaid? So most of it, honestly, it was more of protecting women and showing that as a man, um, you know, you had to work uh, to get this woman 
um, to, you know, to come and bear children because women back in those days, the greatest value was, you know, growing, you know, families and going there and, you know, growing the family of a man. Uh, so, I mean, when you go to 21 verse 9, the Bible is very clear. You know, he had no, no right. He had no right to treat her as property, but the father, the father-in-law had to treat the woman as his own daughter. You know, God goes even beyond, you know, how the family should treat this woman. You know, if he refused to care completely for her, and that's in 21 verse 11, during the time that the family was attempting to, re to redeem, she had a right under the law to go back to her parents and he had a right to pay back something. So, when you read, and as I said, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of it. If there's anyone that needs more examples on breaking down uh, chapter 21 from nine all the way that talks about the bride price and the contract, I, I'm willing to share. And maybe what I can do is add to the slides so that there's more examples on, on how God wanted us to apply what we call um, Lobola today. And I noted, if you go to the next slide, I noted quite a number of things on how God made sure, you know, um, that he was, he, he was creating, uh, you know, families. God was interested in the development of families. He was aware that there needs to be people to procreate. There were strict boundaries on committing adultery. You know, abuse was there. Uh, fidelity matters with God. They were right from the beginning, you know, sexual purity was always always part of it you know the other thing is women are protected by the civil society because God said so he was not willing to leave it up to men to decide how to treat her but the, the law was very clear upfront that this is how you need to treat a woman this is how she needs to go back if she's not treated well you know the other thing before a man could have a woman as a wife he had to show that he was willing to earn the right to be a husband um, I know that this is a concept that is questioned but that, that was the law of God. And we even saw when Laban, Laban and, and, and Jacob, was it Jacob, yes, when we started Genesis, when he had to work for seven years and another second, seven years, and God made it a law in Exodus that this is how it, it must done. He, he cannot just take her. There must be, he must show that he is willing, um, you know, and God also placed uh, protective boundaries when you read 21 verse 19 that he must I mentioned that he must be she must be treated as a daughter in that family uh, God is is he's concerned you know that people say the Bible is silent about such things but the Bible is not God has always been clear about how a family structure should be and how a woman should be treated because even in the you'll see when we study study numbers five Deuteronomy um 23 fines against men that tarnished women's reputation, you know, a smear against her, her reputation, what had to happen to a man who does that to a woman, you know, and, and Numbers 5 is a quite complex book, but if you can read, um, um, you know, parallel to the bride price contract, you will understand that God has always been clear um, on, on how women should be treated, you know, and and they had rights, you know, they had certain rights under the law. So it is, the Bible is clear, it is there. If people don't follow it, it's choice. But the word of God has always been clear on, on how the, the family structure should be and how the man must treat the woman and the woman must treat the man. And, and how if things don't work out because life happens, how it must be treated with a bride price 
contract. It's a tongue, tongue twister. So yeah, so it, it's very clear in the Bible and I'm going to share more information on, on chapter 21. So as you go into the next slide, um, we find three things that God, he then talks about death penalty. It's another controversial issue, but God, you know, he, he was very clear on, on what matters. There are three things. There are three things that God said you deserve to die. And the first one was premeditated murder. If you strike a man so that he dies, um, you had to be put to death. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if it was done by, if you planned premeditated murder is planning it, that I'm going to do this uh, and kill this person. It was a call for, for death. You, you had you had to die. And, and it shows you how God is, is very serious when it comes to life. He is very serious when it comes to life. And he did not allow people to just go and kill other people as easy as is. The second thing that you had to die for was if you curse or strike a parent. And if there's any young people on this call, I always say the law might not be there. Or let me say people that still have parents. The law might not be applied in a, in, in a way that you are killed like it was back then for cursing your parents or for striking your father and your mother, but you die internally. You die internally because the Bible makes it very clear that your parent is like your God in this earth. And God had made it clear right from the beginning. And this law had no condition. It says, who, he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. No conditions, no conditions. And you might not be killed um, physically, but something will die in you because God made it clear. It's one of the 10 commandments. And this is one of the things that he said when you talk to Moses getting to 15 and 17, that they must die. The other thing, which I noted when I talked about slavery, if you kidnap someone, he who strikes, he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his position shall surely be put to death. Kidnapping, kidnapping is some, God, God has given human beings freedom. He even gives us freedom to choose right and wrong. He even gives us that freedom to say, it's your choice. If you want to choose, it's your choice to choose right and wrong. But and he did not allow any other person to have that right over you. That's why he even said to a woman, when you read chapter 21, right, the first half, it talks about such. If you get to a point where this and this happens, the woman is allowed to go back to her parents and we will discuss the bride price, but she cannot be kept. So there's three things. There's three things that God talks about, killing another, capturing another against their will, or, and cursing the parents that God gave to them, you shall die. You shall die for that. So it's God made that very clear right from the, right from the beginning. He wanted us to respect, um, you know, the boundaries of life. And, you know, I, I, I always say our God is very clear on sexual, impuri on sexual purity and, and what it means. He's very clear on that. Our God is very clear on female protection. He is very clear on that. So if you want, if a person wants a license 
to abuse a woman. God, God has made it clear, right, from the beginning of, on how women should be treated. Our God is very clear on the issues of how, how um, self-image. He's very clear on the issue of self-image. And our God is very clear on how people should be treated and how people should get their freedom and how we should not abuse the power that we have over other people. He is very clear. Our God is very clear on what our parents should mean to us. And, and as much as the world is, is running around now saying there are no answers, the answers are there. The answers are there in the Bible or on how we need to treat such things. Christians, Christians need to wake up to the reality of the way that they treat people. Evangelism, evangelism should start there. How do you treat the next person? Because God is, is very clear on how that must happen. If you can go to the next slide, people, God is very clear on how that needs to happen. You need to treat each other with respect. And God was very clear on that and how that must happen. I'm urging everyone to go back and study chapter 21 if they have not. And you will realize that certain things that we're struggling with as a nation, God had given to Moses upfront on how it should be applied in our daily lives. And as we move on to the next slide, the last part of chapter 21, and then we will close. Um, the God, if you, you look on your Bible, I think there's other versions of the Bible that say sundry laws or whatnot. I also don't like that, that heading because most people pass and they say, oh, these are just the rules on the side rules. But no, it's not just on the side. It, it was, it's very important to know that you have a responsibility. And when we go on to, to 2018, if a man had a quarrel, you know, if two men fight, if two men fight, either through fists or with the help of, of something grabbed during the fight, whatever they're doing, the law required the winner, the one that wins the fight, had to be responsible for caring for the one that he had by paying him for the time lost in work, caring directly for him until he is well. If the wound given is severe enough to cause death, he will be forced to flee to a place of ref refugee. And that was the law. 18 um, you know, to 20 says, you had to do that. If you fight and someone is injured, you need to take care of the person that you injured and you need to make sure that they are covered. And if they die, it's culpable homicide. Um, it's not premeditated murder. You did not have to be killed, but there was a place called a place of refugee. And you'll see as we study the law even more where people could run to when they had done certain things. And bear in mind for the death penalty crimes, you could not run to a place of refugee. You had to be killed. But for all the other things, you could run to a place of refugee. And that is seen as, as, as um, um, prophecy because Christ talks about a place of refugee when he comes, that I am that place, that I am that one that you need to run to when you get to a point where you're struggling with certain things. And, and that was the law. And when you move on, um, you know, if you hurt someone and there was collateral damage, you had to pay from 22 to 24. If you are fighting with another man and there's a pregnant woman who gets hurt, if the woman gives birth right after the fight, the woman was to be examined to determine if there is any injury on this child. 
And if there was injury, you need to pay. So it was responsibility. You know, everyone had to be responsible. Everyone had to be responsible. And when you study further, um, God explains if, if to Moses, if the child dies, this is what must happen. If the child lives and, and they, they, they need extra care, this is what the people must do. And it was anyone needs to be responsible, even for an oversight. Even for an oversight, the people had to be responsible for everything that they do. And that principle should be applied in our lives every day. We need to be responsible even for the collateral damage that we cause, because most of us walk away and think, but that was not my intention. But there's damage. There's damage and you need to make sure, you know. So the law provided a statement for responsibility, even over what happened over, over what happened because of an oversight. And as you go on to the next slide, it talks about uh, damage to owned beasts. And it speaks about the same thing, responsibility. Responsibility, you need to take responsibility. If you have an ox and that ox goes and, and hurts someone, you're responsible for it. You cannot say, I was not there. If, if you have something, an ox that goes and, and kills another person or, or it, it destroys another person's farm and whatnot, you had to pay for it. So responsibility includes not only what I mean to do, but what happens because of what I do. And, and you know, God has, has made that very, very clear that we need to be responsible for everything that happens in our life. And I am going to close it there um, on chapter 21. And next week, we're going to look at chapter 22 to 24, just to close off the law. And I don't know if Ntutuokwala is online. If he is, can you please pray for us? Can we all bow our heads and pray? Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for allowing us to learn you more through scripture. Please give us humble hearts and may we yield to your instructions at all times so that we may prosper in our daily lives. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' Lord's name, amen. Amen. Sanele, back to you. Thank you so much, Sisria. Um, I'll be closing for Sanele. She's having a bit of connectivity issues. Um, thank you so much for the very informative session that we had today. And I think um, it was very enlightening to see uh, God taking the children of Israel through his commandments. And I think the biggest takeaway that I took from today's uh, session was um, the importance of taking responsibility as a human being, um, not only for the things that I have done intentionally, but for whatever it is that comes out of my actions. Um, so we thank you. Thank you very, very much, Sisria, for the informative session. And we thank you, we thank everyone who joined us tonight um, and who continues to join us every Sunday. And we wish you a great week and a great evening further.